Okay, well, I thought I'd talk quickly uh, about uh, fetters. Um, I've talked about this previous, but I was working on Sakaya Ditti, uh, the belief in self, right, the first fetter. Uh, I actually moved on because it was doing a course, and they were talking about attachment to rites and rituals. So as I said, I translated the Iddi, the, the powers, the ten powers. And then I went back, and I actually looked at translating the the fetters as well. Because again, some of this stuff's a little bit different, whether it's uh, Sanskrit, Mahayana, or Theravadan. Everyone's all obsessed with these uh, fetters in a Theravadan perspective. So I'll go through the first three, because uh, it's, it's pretty eye-opening when you look at what each one is. So the first fetter, which is uh, the barrier to stream-enter, or sotapanna. The idea is not to completely subdue this uh, belief in self, but it's to understand the nature, identity view, uh, anatman, not-self, anatta. They call the first fetter belief in self in Pali. It's important that we look at it in Pali because this is the teaching. So, sakaya ditti. So, we'll start with ditti. This is view. We know this. Uh, ditti is view. It's um, not just what you're looking at. It's an understanding. It's a belief. It's a... Right? So, sakaya is what we need to look at. Now, if you look at sakaya, it's groups, like namas, rupas, also defined as self-inherent existence of mental and physical phenomena. Notice how it doesn't talk about self of the individual. We're talking about impermanence of all things, all dhamma. Right? There is another translation, again, of personality or personality belief. That is Sakaya Ditti. Right? And it mentioned Atta. Sattva being a person, the best person he can be. That's the Pali version of Sattva. Right? So this is a group. Right? An existing group, sometimes called personality. But again, you have to understand it is all contextual. So, kanda, the skandhas, the five groups of existence, the aggregates that make up, right? Upadana kanda, right? The five groups of clinging, right? Corporality, meaning our reality, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. So, what we experience outside and inside make up this idea of sakaya. But when it comes to sakaya ditti, as I said, it's this self-inherent existence of mental and physical phenomena. What does that mean? It's dependent origination of all things, not just the self. Not just the self. But that's why we're talking about the fetter that is a barrier to entry, to stream entry. So we're not talking about... We can be talking about all things because there is no difference between self and other and there's always no... like. There's no difference between any of that. So the belief in self, Sakaya Ditti, isn't so limited as no self or not self. It's nothing is inherently permanent. That's the impermanence. But it's also the dependent origination, right? Everything is coming or going. Nothing's permanent. The emptiness is that same idea. So it's just this understanding of this view of self, how it impacts 
our understanding of even the material world, not just our feelings and our perceptions, but also everything is influenced by this wrong view. And the entry to stream is just simply this understanding. Second is doubt or uncertainty, especially about the Buddha's awakeness and the nine super mundane consciousness. Now, that is from Wikipedia. I will simply, uh, I personally like the translation. It's a uh, vich, I won't even pronounce it, vichikicha. I, I can't pronounce these things myself. It is the second fetter of doubt or uncertainty. Right? It's one of the five hindrances. It's uh, unwholesome. It's doubt, indecision. Um, it's a new word. But I'll just go back to the idea of faith, shraddha, right? This commitment and um, uh, belief in the prescription. I would even say not, I wouldn't have used uh, Buddha's awakeness. I always say belief in the prescription. So if you understand the nature of self, if you understand dependent origination, if you understand that um, it is this self-centered uh, desires that causes the suffering in this world, you don't, as I said, you don't even have to have a belief in God for this transformation to work. All you have to do is believe that everything you do impacts everything else. And therefore, you must do your best because the reverse is also true. That anything out of your control is still going to impact your existence. It doesn't matter how you see it. You either believe in a non-dual state or you just believe in um, this uh, responsibility to manage your own perceptions. It has the same outcome. right? So in this case, uh, the second barrier... Uh, to awakening or a uh, second barrier uh, to stream entry, uh, fetters, is simply doubt, right? And that doubt has to, uh, whether you're living in the illusory uh, reality, but it also goes to that complicated uh, second state that we talked about, that dependent uh, state, that dependent origination state. So you can go from just understanding that you don't understand, to understanding what you don't understand, to hopefully someday experiencing what you didn't understand. So throughout this whole process, you must keep the faith, right? It's not like a Western idea. It's simply when you sit, you just sit and not waver on whether that is your goal. I like someone quoted from the, uh, the Pantanjali, uh, uh, his Yoga Sutra, talking about the way to proceed is to embody the Brahma-viharas of compassion and loving-kindness and um, empathetic joy and equanimity. Like I said, this universal uh, oneness of a system that we all uh, belong to. Right? And so on that uh, doubt is the next that was eye-opening for me. The third um, fetter is attachment to rites and rituals. And we've talked this, 
before, and it depends on who you speak to. Some people think um, it has to do with wrong rites and rituals. Some people think it has to uh, do with attaching too much to rites and rituals, and others again think that it has to do with, um, like an example was given, I won't even give the example of the country, because I don't think it's, you'll find that someone's practice is purely ritual and not with that same faith and commitment, right? But I argue that's not the case because it's the third fetter. The second fetter is to eliminate that doubt. So I want us to go and look at the words. So first, let's look at what we're talking about here. Fetters. Samyoyana. And that simply breaks down uh, to best... Um, Hold on here, let me go down because I don't want to misspeak here. So it's uh, the best path to uh, coalescence, I would say, right? So samyoyana is uniting or joining, conjoining, connecting, mingling, mixing, blending, uh, uniting, joining, um, but commonly talking about connection or fettering. So it's two-sided, you know, depending on who you're talking to. Sometimes they talk in the negative, meaning um, uh, negation ideas. There is no self. And others will say, you are not. I, I can't give an example in this case, but I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Samuel Jana is not so much a fetter. It's actually the idea of what you subdue to bring about this coalescence that is in the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali, that is in the Gita, that is in the Theravada, and is also in the Mahayana. So Samyajana is not so much the fetter, it's, it's um, the barriers to union. Right? So let's just break, as I said, it's Samyu. You break that down, it's to form an alliance. Right? And Yoyaka would be the other part, it's just, you know, an instrument or a causal agent. Right? So Samyoyana is actually that which allows you to unite. Okay, so here's our three fetters. So I'd love to break down this next fetter. It's important. Sila Bata Paramasa. This is attachment to rites and rituals. So let's look at Sila Bata. Sila Bata is rituals, practices, ceremonies, recitations, uh, ceremonial observations. Right? Sila is morality. Mbata, mena practice. Right? Sila, I say sila, I apologize. It's how I was trained for 20 years. I just can't help it. I, I much prefer um, sila. Uh, but, uh, you know. So again, sila, bata. They call it ceremonial observances, but in reality, it's actually the right um, occupation or your right uh, livelihood. You should be endeavoring uh, to fill your days with these activities. Oh, so once again, the deeper you go, the more you find out. So again, I was taught that the sila nabata is just talking about, right? But no. So sila bata, in this case, if you go back, to uh, Marathi, which is, you know, beforehand, you can see that Bata, let's just double check that we have the right 
Shilabata. No, so no accents. Uh, then, wow. So they're missing an accent because there is no form of bata without an accent. Unless we go to Sanskrit. So sore, regret, pity, compassion, censor, truth. I mean, it just depends on how you want to look at it. Right? The source. An interjection, bata. An interjection expressing astonishment or regret. Generally, oh, ah, oh, alas. Originally placed immediately after the leading word at the beginning of the sentence or only separated by it. Rarely itself first place. There you go. So, what it means here is shilabata. It means morality as it should be. Right? But it can also mean hindrances to reality. The bata of shila. Right? But if we go, like I said, shilabata paramasa. Paramasa means touching, handling, a contagion. Touching, seizing, taking hold of. Right? A paramasa, not leading astray, not enticing. Being attached to, hanging on, under the influence of. Right? It's uh, perverted. And there's even a quote where it's talking about uh, reversion. It can also mean reversion. It's commonly translated as adherence or attachment or misapprehension. That makes sense. If again we go back to the fetters and we look at the third attachment to rites and rituals, Shilabata Paramasa. Sure. But what rites and rituals are we talking about? At this time, there were no rites or rituals. So, if we break down those actual words and we step back from the modern interpretations or even the people who are practicing the rites and rituals that became known as Buddhism, and if we look at what was origi originally intended and meant, if you look at Shilabata, okay, so that which hinders morality, and the apprehension or the, the misapprehension, the attachment, that is wrong. And what was just above? The doubt. Don't attach to doubt or uncertainty. Don't attach to this belief in self, or like I said, even better, sakaya ditti, that view that things are permanent, or that the self exists, all of that. So the third fetter isn't so much attachment to rites and rituals, but certainly, you do not want to be attached to rites and rituals. Even the Manihana text, um, the Hiradaya, the Heart Sutra, talks about not being attached to the rites and rituals. Because that itself, same as not sitting down with an intention to achieve something. The idea is to eliminate these wrong views, right? The Sakaya Ditti, same as we talked about, Samyayana. This is an idea of something that we need to uh, manage. So that was one to three.
My next favorite is four. I've always disagreed with everyone on what the nature of the fourth fetter really is. Right? But we're already at 15 minutes as it is. But commonly, we just discuss the three fetters. Um, right? Because that's your, your beginning level. Very few people even get beyond that. But again, don't forget, you must have uh, certainty, confidence in those super mundane consciousnesses. We'll leave it at that, and then maybe we'll talk about... Uh, honestly, I could even talk about the fourth fetter, Kamachando. I could do that in a podcast of its own, um, because it's quite interesting. Not just the word, uh, um, but the level of not just uh, misunderstanding, confusion, and or vitriol that you'll find. If you suggest that Kamachando doesn't um, jive with what a particular translator thinks it does, and you might get a little bit of ill will... Same sort of idea why I haven't mentioned my translations of the Iddi, the, the powers, extraordinary powers. Uh, and another thing, no, I won't even go into that. I'm just, it's definitely a podcast for the Iddi. Um, because, again, I was saying for how long that Iddi Pada is actually these uh, super normal powers, extra normal powers. Um, and I've had, I don't know how many people tell me that these uh, references uh, are from the Vasudhi Maga, and so, you know, it's later, and it's not always canon. Well, it's in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. They talk about Idipada. And when you read about Idipada in the Mahaparinibbana Sutra, you will read that they're not talking about superpowers. They're talking about extraordinary powers of con of um, um well, conscientiousness, of compassion, of uh, uh, concentration, right? That's what they're talking about. Please, please go into the Mahaparinibbana Sutra. It is a tome, uh, but you can pick from all sorts of different areas uh, within the text and get little nuggets of gold. I'll tell you, I literally had two uh, courses in the last week or two that we're supposed to be talking about some of the earliest writings of the Buddha. And what did they do? They didn't go through the sutras and find the most relevant and, uh, you know, lucid examples. No, they picked out the most obscure examples. And I mean, as a one-off example, I might think, well, you know, it's just something. They no, I personally think this is an attempt at obfuscation. Because in both of those courses, there was at least one question that they just couldn't answer. But there is an answer for. What was the one example? Uh, oh, it was about the uh, Brahman penalty. And they said, oh, well, none of us know what that is. We know what it is. It means to ignore him and excise him. They're not going to kick him out, but he can still remain in the, uh, in the community, but no one's going to interact with him. Think about it. That's the teaching. If someone is so toxic, and that's what the Brahma penalty is about, they're so toxic, or they don't live uh, the teachings, or... They have doubt or they once again have this uh, issue with uh, uh, Sakaya Ditti, uh, this view uh, that, you know, anything might be uh, impermanent. And then there's other fetters too that we talk about. And then there's a whole bunch of, uh, of things that are uh, prohibited to monks. But there's a perfect example. I mean, am I surprised that these individuals who are charging money to teach Buddhism and meditation, uh, 
getting tax breaks for it, and don't even understand some of the simplest stuff that you can just Google. And yet I am, again, wondering who's right when it comes to this translations. Like I said, you go and look up Kamachando. You can look in every, and I have, every single dictionary in print, every single opinion, you'll come to the same conclusion that Kamachando is talking about desire, uh, somatic desire, or it's that first fetter. That's what we're talking about here, right? It's attachment to the somatic experience, to the body. And it's to remind us that. How many times have you sat in meditation and someone says, well, I have a hard time following my breath because then I just pay too, too much attention to it and I start breathing pretty hard? Yeah, kamachando, right? You pay attention to the breath so that you can occupy um, the conscious so that hopefully you can achieve some peace, uh, some calm, and maybe some insight. Uh, which will allow you uh, to understand the true nature of all things, not just the self, and have certainty and commitment and faith in the prescription that is um, awareness or the practice of awakening. Not attaching to any of these uh, uh, rights, be it a religious rite, or even your usual routine, right? It's because you get up in the morning and you go get yourself your coffee or your newspaper. That's not you. It doesn't make it you. It's the idea of this attachment to. And so possibly when you look at the fourth attachment, you will see what I'm getting at. The teaching is not. Certainly there were some issues uh, back in the day, and there still are today. But the teaching was initially about um, managing your desires and your perceptions.